This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Is anyone here for the first time? Wonderful. Welcome. What brings people to a Zen center? This, when I walked in this morning for Zazen, it was really dark in here because we the, the blinds were down. It was such a nice day outside, cold and brisk, but sunny and clear. And I was like, why do people come to a Zen center <laughs> 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 on a beautiful day like today? <laughs> uh, so, um, <clears throat> less than a week ago, this community had a uh, ceremony. Um, it was a head teacher installation ceremony, which for those of you who were here know that it was kind of entirely just made up on the spot <laughs> in true Zen form. <laughs> now, uh, don't try this at home. No. <laughs> uh, the officiant of the ceremony, my teacher, Paul Haller, um, when he said, I, I was pretty worried, I, I can tell you, before the ceremony, I was worried because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I think I may have like leaked out that worry over the weeks before by saying things like, well, who knows what's going to happen? And, um, and he said uh, the day before, I think, uh, we ended our Rohatsu Sashin, seven days of sitting. And he, after the ceremony, we went out to dinner. I mean, not the ceremony, after the Sashin, a bunch of people went out to dinner. And at the end of dinner, I said to Paul, so are we going to talk about the ceremony? <laughs> do, does anybody know what they're going to need to do? Like, does the Eno know? No. <laughs> You know, I think he spoke to Ernest. Yes, Ernest, and he plotted, I think. <laughs> and, um, but he didn't say anything. And then I said, I just, I, I feel like I, it would be nice to know that I can just show up and not have to be in charge of making it work. And he said, yeah, just show up. And at that point, I think things just kind of, oh, all right, <laughs> I can just show up. And, uh, and he made some joke at the, that evening. He said, oh, we'll, we'll go over what's going to happen by the first roll down. And then <laughs> by the second roll down, we'll have, we'll have you know, done a rehearsal. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and that's what happened. <laughs> serious. Like, by the first roll down, he's like, okay. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to make some comments about what's going to happen next so that everyone's on the same page. And we'll, you know. And I think it was a lovely ceremony. Um, not least of which all the glowing, wonderful things that people said, which um, was very beautiful and sweet. Uh, definitely a ceremony of celebration. I think a ceremony of celebration for the Austin Zen Center, that is my hope and wish and intention. And um, yeah, it's interesting. Somebody asked me afterwards, do you feel any different? And I said, no, I actually, you know, I don't. And, and in actuality, <laughs> 
I had been the head teacher for some time before the ceremony, and yet, and yet, there was this request from the people in the community that we needed to have some ceremonial marker for the occasion. Did we? Did we not? Some people are nodding. Yeah, some ceremonial um, acknowledgement of this change, which isn't a change, but is a change, as everything is changing, but for the community to come to a place where, yes, we're doing this ceremonially, I think was very important, I hope, for the community. And I want to speak a little bit for myself and my initial uh, sentiment that, oh, this didn't really change anything. That was me speaking from the mind of, well, in terms of like the on paper stuff, my job description, the you know, whatever benefits there are to the job, the responsibilities, the, none of those things change. And yet, as the, as the week progressed, day after day in the Zendo, the feeling was, this is, something has changed. And all week, I will say, I have been, um, maybe struggling is too hard, too, too negative of a word, but there's been this energy and this little flutter of, Oh boy, <laughs> what have I done? What have we done? In a, in a really terrifying, but also really good way, right? Because it brings things to the forefront of there's a responsibility, there's a commitment, um, there's a vow for all of us, for all of us. Especially, I think... Um, as we walk forward to find out what this is, what this means. Because having a teacher of a center, um, I think is a very profound thing. It's not just having a teacher, like the teacher is, brings whatever their, their whole self to the task. And as you all know, we are all very unique individual people. We have different histories. We have different karma. We have different conditioning. So no matter what, I can never replace those who have come before. I will not be like Kosho as a teacher. I will not be like Barbara as a teacher. And of the very many teachers that I have in my life, my teacher Paul, my teacher Leslie, my teacher Steve, my teacher Tia, all these teachers, I will never be like any of them. And that's beautiful. Why? Because this is Zen. Are you familiar with the, uh, the Suzuki Roshi quote, when you become you, Zen becomes Zen? I think of that quote as being, in terms of, uh, I had a conversation with Tenku who came out for the latter half of the Rohatsu and stayed on for the ceremony. Um, I knew her, met her first when I moved into the San Francisco Zen Center and she was working there as well. And so I've known her for over 20 years now. And we were speaking uh, just recently after she left and went back to New York where she lives and practices. And she was talking about leadership styles 
She said, you're going to need to figure out what your leadership style is as a teacher. And, uh, and then she recommended some, some reading, because that's who Tenku is, and she's very well connected to the literature, um, among other things. But in terms of the leadership style, what does it mean to be a steward for practice? So this has been very much on my mind, has always been on my mind, but I think that there's some kind of turning that through the magical transformation of going through a ceremonial space, it sinks in on a different level than some heady intellectual level. Right? I could write down you know, and use my... Which brain, which side of the brain is it? The right? Left. The left side is the so-called uh, analytic, yes? Yes, and the right side is the so-called creative, intuitive. Yes, so I can sit down with my overly developed <laughs> left side, I would say, and come up with an answer, come up with some kind of an explanation for what I'm doing what my intention is, what my purpose is, and then I could even come up with, and I know I use this a lot, but I could come up with like check boxes. Is this, yes, I don't know about that. You know, we can go through that using that, uh, for most of us, very well-developed side of reason and um, analysis, discriminative thinking, as opposed to a intuitive playful, artistic unfolding, right? So somehow in the magical transformation of going through ceremony, something started to ripple or drop down, right? And it's not that these are in conflict with one another, and I'll return to this, but there's this expression of the, the ocean and the sky being so different, right, where they meet or how they meet, they don't impede each other. They can equally exist and they don't get in each other's way. The waves and the ocean, the water and the sky. Right? And I think it's the same way with our two sides of our big brains. Most, some, some of the time, <laughs> at least. But this question, that's been, uh, it's like how, how to show up. What is the teaching? What does it mean to have a teacher? What does it mean to be a teacher? What does it mean to be a student? When talking with um, one of my teachers, Gil Fransdahl, about whether or not I uh, would stay at Austin when there was some question about whether I would be here or not, the one thing that he said to me that really resonated was, you have to know whether Austin Zen Center is a place where you can practice. It's interesting. A place where I can also practice. It's really quite profound because as Koji uh, Dreyer is very fond, one of our visiting teachers and uh, students here, is, has been very fond of saying, in Zen there are no finished products. There are no finished products. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, well, if you're going to have somebody who's the head of an organization or the teacher of an organization, they better be pretty damn finished. <laughs> they should have gone through finishing school or what have you, right? And, and be pretty polished, right? And maybe there's glimpses of that sometimes, right? 
but I'd like to remind everyone also <laughs> of um, Dogen Zenji. He says, and I'm going to just quote a section of this. Uh, okay. This is from the Ehe Koroku, which is a collection of Dogen Zenji's, the founder of Soto Zen in Japan, our ancestor a collection of his Dharma talks. And this is uh, from 1241, called Buddha Underfoot. And it comes from, it was, uh, the date of it was the Enlightenment Day. So a week ago today, December 8th, 2000, uh, 20, uh, 1241. <laughs> the teacher Dogen said, 2,000 years later, we are the descendants of Shakyamuni, 2,000 years ago, he was our ancestral father. He is muddy and wet from following and chasing after the waves. It can be described like this, but also there is the principle of the way that we must make one mistake after another. What is this like? Whether Buddha is present or not present, I trust he is right under our feet. Face after face, is Buddha's face. Fulfillment after fulfillment is Buddha's fulfillment. Last night, this mountain monk, Dogen, unintentionally stepped on a dried turd, and it jumped up and covered heaven and earth. <laughs> this mountain monk unintentionally stepped on it again, <laughs> and it introduced itself, saying, my name is Shakyamuni. Then this mountain monk unintentionally stepped on his chest and immediately he went and sat on the Vajra seat, saw the morning star, bit through the traps and snares of conditioned birth and cast away his old nest from the past. Without waiting for anyone to peck at his shell from outside, he received the 32 characteristics common to all Buddhas and together with this mountain monk composed the following four-line verse. Stumbling, I stepped on his chest, and his backbone snapped. Mountains and rivers swirling around, the dawn wind blew. Penetrating seven and accomplishing eight, bones piercing the heavens, his face attained a sheet of golden skin. Hmm. So what is this, we must make mistake after mistake? Suzuki Roshi called this one continuous mistake. In other places in Dogen, he talks about it as one continuous mistake. So with these, uh, these Zenisms, <laughs> which you know, I understand can sometimes, when, you, you know, when you, we repeat them over and over again, sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah, I've heard that before. And other times it's like, feel like I've never even that just never heard that before or I've heard it but it's never entered in some way well <laughs> that was kind of my experience so the expression when Zen uh, when you become you Zen becomes Zen right this is for all of us for all of us and what does it mean how do we unpack this when you become you Zen becomes Zen what does that mean in your own life? When are you not you? 
Suzuki Roshi uh, did um, he says even though you lie in bed you may not be you most of the time so okay there's something else going on here are we us all the time when are we not us when are you not you this is the koan. Even when you lie in bed, you may not be being you. What do you think hinders that? What hinders our expression of you-ness, I-ness? Anyone hazard a guess? I'm, I'm having a question before I get to that question, which is, uh, when am I? <laughs> When am I? What am I? What? Yes, what am I? What are we talking about? <laughs> Does anybody know? There's the um, point at yourself, but point out, you know, that you are everything. Mm. there, point away when looking at yourself to point in the opposite direction. Yes. Yes. So do you agree? Bruce? Well, I was just thinking that there's the other side of Eric's question, which is, what am I not? Because to say who I am is to draw a line, isn't it? Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, to say I am this and not that. Right? When we define ourselves. One of the exercises of being at a Zen center, I think this is a game we all play, is we come to the Zen center and maybe we put on a Zen face. <laughs> Let me see your Zen face. <laughs> uh, is it a face that's... Uh, somebody actually posted something on Facebook, on the Facebook page. Did you see it? About joy and, and sternness or something. There was a we posted some photographs from the um, from the ceremony onto the Facebook the Austin Zen Center Facebook page, and somebody made a comment that oh everyone looks so serious. Where's the joy? <laughs> uh, and uh, and actually, if you have a chance to listen to Paul Haller's Dharma talks from the Sashin, he spends a good chunk of his time speaking about this joy. Sati. No, not Sati. Pity. Pity. And he didn't talk about Sukha, but Pity. Joy and ease, right? The joy and ease that uh, some people had to be convinced of <laughs> during the retreat when their legs were aching. Um, so this points to original nature. How many of you have experienced original nature? Yes. I was just, I was going to go back to this, when we point to us as it's sort of blossoming out of everything, that sounds like you are you, but I'm interested in this question, when you are not you, you know, how is that right. possible? How is it possible to not <clears throat> be you? That's why I asked, what gets in the way? I think everyone here has had the experience of feeling like, wait, I'm not really being myself, right? Now, are we talking about our personalities? 
when when this uh, expression, this Zen expression, is it talking about personality? Or is it talking about something else? And if so, what is it? What are we beyond our personalities? Mind. There's a lot of questions about what mind you have. When you're not you, your mind, you've forgotten that connection. You're sucked into some small thing. You're chasing, you're floating on some thought train or what have you. But your mind isn't the, the, the everything mind. Yeah. The mind isn't the everything mind. So you've gotten stuck on the, so you've gotten stuck in, a, in an eddy in the stream, maybe. Yeah. Again, maybe when you're no longer, uh, the you is not everything, right? The you is small and uh, constrained. Yes? Maybe like the energy and the frequency, so it's maybe not in alignment with certain energy or frequency of like light mm. and love. Mm. Light and love. The energy and frequency of light and love. I like that. Or the um, being in attunement with the Tao as opposed to being out of attunement where the way things are flowing is something to rail against or something to fight. which sometimes is necessary, right? Yes? I also think sometimes it's insulation, in a way, just losing touch, you know, in a, uh, almost like padded or insulated to where you're not really connected. Maybe armored. Yes. Yeah. These are things we find when we sit zazen, right? We find these areas that may be blocked, that may be constrained, right? Occluded by something, right? When we sit in zazen and we breathe, we find our, we, we are studying the self in a way that's non-intellectual. So we sit, we, inside, there's a dis description of the waves and the water, right? The, when you think of um, the ocean, uh, someone was telling me about their, their dive uh, experiences where they were out on a boat and the boat it was a during a storm that they were going to do a dive and some photography and so they're on this boat in the storm it's being whipped around and they you know as they do go back into the water go backwards into the water and as soon going from this hectic chaotic environment with wind whipping around and water droplets hitting you in the face, stinging, and the boat lurching and casting, and then just going in under the water. Even though there's waves in the water, how far down do you go before you're under the water in complete calm? And even the sound of the rushing wind and the water hitting the boat, you can't hear it, maybe. Maybe it's a muffled sound. There's a description of the water as clear. When the water is clear, you can see all the way down to the bottom. And what do you find at the bottom? An anchor. An anchor. <laughs> <laughs> no, you find a frog. <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> 
No, I'm just joking. There's this description of a frog that sits on the bottom of the water, right? And, and Suzuki Roshi also often talks about this frog as the frog just sits there, and, but sometimes the frog can forget itself, and then it makes a sour face. <laughs> so think about that as you're in your own life. When we forget ourselves, we make a sour face. <laughs> So if you find yourself, you know, <laughs> like, wow, where, where am I? Yeah. So going back to this idea of personality, there's another expression in Zen. What is your original face before your parents were born? Now, you can't fall back on things like, well, my personality developed this way because of this thing, that because of vacations we took and the... Bahamas from the time I was four to seven. You can't really do that with that question, right? So going deeper than the surface of waves on the water, going deeper down to the sandy bottom where we find the frog. <laughs> what is that? What is that calm place that is always available whether we recognize it or not how do we find it paul was not i don't know how encouraging he was during this uh sashin when he kept saying things like yeah we find that glimpse <laughs> every once in a while and then we are thrown back into our the tumult of our lives so maybe that's why people come to a Zen center on a sunny day, too. Right? What is this place? What is my original face? What is Buddha nature? When we develop a certain level of trust in our original nature, it's not something that you find intellectually. It's only something that can be felt, a felt experience that we can cultivate. We can cultivate the mind that is open and relaxed and calm, that sees, uh, that is open enough to see virtue, that's open enough to have kindness spring forth without effort, even. We can find this place, and when we taste it, oftentimes we want to grab a hold of it because we're afraid it's going to go away. And guess what? It does. It does go away because of our human life. Because the human life is full of struggle and ego and attachment. Right? And yet, when we practice, we develop a trust. Shraddha. We've tasted this frog. <laughs> Not really, but what it's like to be the frog. Maybe we've tasted it. It's beyond our personality. It's beyond our karmic self. You could say that our karmic self impedes this dharmic self, this ground. But again, I think that when we set up the dual duality between samsara and nirvana, when we set up a duality between the sky and the sea, when we say this is calm and this is not, maybe when we say this is true self and this is not, 
then we're sent off in a tailspin. Right? So we can always, we always have the opportunity to settle, to step, take a step back and recognize our original face. Suzuki Roshi said, just to work, just to live in this world with this understanding is the most important point. And that is our practice. That is true zazen. Again, it's not about coming up with an idea. Oh, I have this idea that I'm perfect just as I am. I just need a little improvement. Right? It's not that we have that idea that's rattling around in our, in our heads that becomes a, a yardstick with which we measure everything. That's just our, that's our conditioned behavior to do that. Right? But when we take a step back and we settle, when we find that bottom of the water, and we might even not be finding the bottom of the water, but we know it's there. We might know it's there. So in terms of, um, actually I wanna open, I wanna leave some room for questions. But I wanted to say that in today, less than a week after our ceremony, that where I am in what does it mean to be a teacher? What does it mean to be a student? As a teacher, I think that the main thing, my, my main role, my main job, my main responsibility of all responsibilities is to practice and ex as by example and by encouragement, when you become you, Zen becomes Zen. For everyone who walks in that door, when you become you, Zen becomes Zen. No matter where you're from, no matter where you hail from, when someone comes into practice, there is this, um, this sense of curiosity what is this? Who am I? What am I? Right? So Eric's question, what am I? What is this life? When we come into that come up with this question for ourselves in our very own life and we sit down with the intention of opening up to the mystery of it. That's Zen. And no matter who you are or where you come from, to do that, to want to, to aspire to look at your life in this way, that is the encouragement here. That is the practice here. And we provide a two and a half foot by two and a half foot black square cushion <laughs> for anyone to, uh, to take their seat on, right? to investigate. And then uh, in this question as well of what a teacher is. Uh, there's the story of, and what a, what a teacher is, what a Buddha is, right? What is original nature? There's the story, have you heard the story of the, uh, the monk polishing a tile? Yes, so Master Matsu in an encounter with another, with a monk, 
who's, you know, Master Masi is sitting, practicing zazen. And then the teacher comes in and says, why, what are you doing there? What are you, you know, why are you sitting there? Well, I'm practicing zazen. Why, why do you practice zazen? To become a Buddha. So the teacher goes and starts to, uh, picks up a tile, a roof tile, a clay roof tile, and starts polishing it. And Matsu says to his teacher, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm polishing this tile. Why are you polishing the tile? To make a mirror. He says, well, you can't make a mirror by polishing a clay tile. Nanue says, well, you can't make a Buddha by sitting. Why is that? You are a Buddha. Because you are a Buddha. You can't create a Buddha. You can't create an awakened reality. This is it. We are it. How do we find it? How do we see it? How do we trust it? How do we trust ourselves? Not too much. <laughs> but trust ourselves enough. Taiso Eka said to Bodhidharma, when all is totally clear, nothing need be cleared. Where all is hidden and dark is utter confusion. Seeking a teacher by the side of the path, he accidentally met himself. Enticed by calm water, she walked a bit in the clouds. I'll say that again. Seeking a teacher by the side of a path, he accidentally met himself. Enticed by calm water, she walked a bit in the clouds. So in terms of a teacher, being a teacher, what does that look like? It's said that every position, no matter what position it is, from being the um, uh, the jikido, which is traditionally the one who keeps the the fires lit and the fireplace stoked, the kitchen stove stoked with wood, right? From that position all the way up to the position of an abbot, we're all in training, all of us, and we bonk up against one another and we make mistakes, one after another, apparently. Through all of this, we refine our lives, we refine our practice, hopefully with kindness and with mutual respect. That is my intention. And so being the teacher does not mean that I have anything to teach that you don't already have at your disposal. How could that be? But if I can be an example, if I can uh, walk this path with whoever wants to walk this path, that's my starting point. And in terms of this refinement, it will take everybody who comes to the door, everyone becomes teacher, everyone becomes student. So I'm excited about what this means and discovering uh, as we move forward what it means. Um, 
and I want to thank everyone who showed up today and everyone who's been coming for a long time and everyone who's uh, built this place and made this place a place of practice for all to enjoy. Are there any questions or comments before we end? Yes. The question of when we're not ourselves, I think when our, when our lives are dictated by our, our aversions or clinging, I think that's when we're not being ourselves. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, we find that when we reflect, we find that that's deeply true. Right? When we get bound up in an idea or an identity, and then we're, we actually skip over what's actually happening, right? How do we reconnect? Reconnect to what's actually happening in this moment, as opposed to what we think should be happening, what we think, even what we think is happening. It's a little murky, a little cloudy sometimes, right? But then the sun comes out and shines all the way to the bottom of the ocean. And it's illuminated. Anything else? Did you all hear me better with the... Hello? I think it helped. You think it helped? Yeah. Everybody? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, another thank you to the very generous donor who um, purchased this system for us. I don't know if she's here today, but thank you to her. <laughs> and thank you everyone for being here and for your practice.